Acts chapter 14, if you would turn your Bible there. Acts chapter 14. Uh, when we left off in Acts chapter 14, verse 7, when last week we finished up verses 1 through 7, uh, Paul and Barnabas were on their way to Lystra, Derbe, Lycaonia, and the surrounding region to preach the gospel. And an interest, interesting situation takes place in Lystra that sets off a whole series of events. And uh, let's just read about the story. So if you would follow along as I begin reading in Acts chapter 14, verse 8, it says, In Lystra, a certain man with out strength in his feet, was sitting a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up straighten your, on your, straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Now when the people saw that what Paul had done, they raised their voices saying in the Lycaonian language, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. Lord Jesus, we pray that once again as we open your word, as we come together to worship you through your word, I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that we would be honest as we preach and every week, Lord, that you would allow us to be honest of where we're at in our walk with you. I pray to your Father, Lord, that you would bring conviction where conviction is needed, encouragement where encouragement is needed. But, Lord, that we would be able to rightly apply, Lord, your word to our lives as we walk with you and try to uh, be like your son, Jesus. So, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts this morning through this time. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as Paul entered into Lystra, he began to preach, and as he's preaching, he notices that he's almost fixated on one person who was crippled from birth, and Paul commanded him, stand up straight on his feet, and immediately the man leaps up and walks. Now, think about that just for a moment. I mean, I've never been in that scenario. I'm just being honest with you. I've never looked at somebody and said, oh, get up and walk, you know, guys in a wheelchair. I've never done that before. I don't plan on starting. Um, the reality is I can't imagine the situation that has taken place in my mind's eye other than for some reason he knows that this man is obviously crippled. He knows that this man has faith. Maybe he's hanging on and clinging to every word that Paul is preaching. I don't know. I can only imagine. But Paul is fixated. He's fixated on Paul. And Paul just commands him to stand up and walk. And he leaps up and does so. And one would think that the story would have a happy ending where everybody goes home excited about what they just saw. I mean, they're getting out their cell phones, they're recording it on Facebook Live, they're getting everybody, everybody's knowing about it, and everybody's, I mean, the word is out. Paul has just told this crippled guy that everybody knows he's been crippled from birth, and everybody's excited, and they're going to go home with, with a story that they've actually got to observe Jesus, or I mean, Paul do a miracle, right? Well, the, the story doesn't end as one would expect. So rather than being excited that a man who was crippled from birth now was walking, the people raised their voices and proclaimed that the gods had come down in the form of men, and specifically in the form of Paul and Barnabas. And so they had totally messed it up. I mean, they, get, they got this all wrong. I mean, they're just immediately, you know, the gods have come down. I mean, they look like Paul and Barnabas. They're in, they're, they're in them. No, that is not what took place. And they began to call Barnabas Zeus, which meant king, and Paul Hermes, which meant messenger. 
And uh, these Jewish men wanted to attribute their miracle really to their gods. And that really baffled me a little bit. Because you would think as Jewish people in this town that their god would be God, but no, they still had idols and and they were involved in idolatry. And so these Jewish men wanted to attribute their miracle to their gods. And and in the the festive moment of, of seeing this cripple walk, they want to make a festivity out of it. They want to bring, make it a celebration. So across the road, the God's Word tells us that across the way there's a temple, and the temple priest comes out bringing oxen and garland and now wants to make a festivity out of this because their gods have come down in the form of Paul and Barnabas. But they wanted to attribute this miracle to their gods. But notice Paul and Barnabas' response in verses 14 through 18. The three things, or they responded in three ways. And verse 14 says, But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard this, they tore their clothes and ran uh, in among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you, and preach to you that you should n- turn from these useless things to the living God, who made heaven, the earth, the sea, and all that are in them who in the bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without a witness in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these things, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. I mean, three things they did. First of all, they tore their clothes in anguish. They were really upset. I mean, can you imagine if this were to happen in our day and age? I mean, can you, I mean, just think about it in your mind's eye. There would be people who would like, yeah, bring it on. They think I've done something great. Let's, let's just, yeah, keep it coming. In fact, I think now would be a good time to get the offering plates out. Yes, bring them out. I mean, they, they would have eaten that up. But Paul and Barnabas, they were in anguish over this. They tore their clothes. They got it all wrong. They were thinking that Paul and Barnabas were the, were the ones who did this, and it wasn't them. It was God who did it through them, right? We know that. But in a moment, all the crowd thinks that their gods have infiltrated Paul and Barnabas, and they're, and, and they're upset about it. Number two, they ran among the crowd crying out with the message of the truth. And what was the truth? It was all about God and what he did. So he immediately takes their focus off of themselves and puts it on God. And by the way, anytime God does anything in our lives, that ought to be our response. That we reflect what God has done off of us and onto him where it rightly is deserved, right? And so, he reminds them, he says, men, why are you doing these things? He says, we're just like you are. We're just normal men. We're we're, we're nothing special. There's nothing special about us. He says, we also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea. So immediately, he's even confronting the very fact that they thought it was Zeus and Hermes he says, it's not them, it's God who did this. And by the way, I don't care what God does do in our lives, He does deserve the glory for it. Not us. It's nothing we did, it's nothing we, you know, because of our own abilities, our own skills, our own talents. In fact, First Corinthians 4 says, who maketh thee to differ one from another? God made you. If you have talents, God gave them to you. If you have abilities, God gave them to you. If you can do something special, God gave you that ability. The reality is not about you. And Paul and and Barnabas are running around the crowd and they're trying to dispel what is happening in the crowd and make sure that they understand it. it is God who did this, not them. 
And they were really upset about it. And then they begin, the third thing that they did in response to what the crowd was doing is that they tried to restrain the crowd from sacrificing to them. I mean, think about it. And th- this is where they get the offering plates out. They're bringing in sacrifices and they're wanting to exalt Paul and Barnabas for this miracle that has taken place. And they're like, no, 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 no. The crowd had it all wrong. And so Paul reminded them of two things. Paul reminded the crowd that they were just normal men like they were. Nothing special. Nothing unique about them. They were just simply men that God was using. That's it. Nothing special. And number two, Paul reminded them that they should turn from the useless things, the idols. And this was actually Paul's testimony. In fact, think about it. Paul was saying you need to turn from these useless things. He's referring to the idolatry that they were involved in. You know, say, well, I don't have any idols in my life. I would think that twice before I say that too loud. Because I think all of us struggle with having idols in our lives. The bottom line is, you may not have a side room where you have an idol or some type of stone that you're bowing down to, but anything, anything that you give more time and attention and energy and focus to than you do God has the potential of being an idol in your life. So as I was talking about this with some of the kids this last week, what are idols in our life today? Hobbies? Do you give more time, energy, and focus to your hobby than you do God? Reading, watching TV, sports, shopping, internet surfing, social media. What is it that distracts us from walking with God? What is it that we give more time and attention and energy and our focus to more than we give to God? Those are the potential idols in our life. And God says what? Do not have any other idols before me. And Paul's testimony in his own life was that, listen, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9 says, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Paul reminded them who Jesus was and what he did. He turned. And Paul was one of those men who turned. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 20, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Think about that. I mean, he is very clear about it. He says, you are, you are suppressing. The whole idea of suppressing is that you are putting it down. You're pushing down the truth. And you're not just pushing it down. You're pushing down the truth so that the unrighteousness can rise. They're making choices to elevate the unrighteousness and push down the righteousness. It says in verse 19, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. So in other words, God revealed what truth was. But verse 20 says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are what? Without excuse. He said you have no rational excuse for not knowing what the truth of God is. He says, you can see it all around us. I shared an example of one thing that David did uh, when he was in high school. He was talking to a foreign exchange student from the country of Germany. And this, uh, as they were talking over lunch, this kid looked at him and says, well, I don't believe in God. And he goes, well, why not? He goes, because it's just impossible that, that, 
that, that there's a God out there somewhere that made all this. And David says to him, he goes, well, how do you think this world came into existence? He goes, it just went, it morphed into existence. He goes, you know, there's explosion, there's this, there's that. And all of a sudden, you know, the world is as you see it. And David said, well, that's impossible. And this kid says, no, it's not. He goes, and he looks over and he grabs the kid's phone. And so as he was grabbing his phone, he took the cover off. And this is a few years ago. So you imagine, uh, uh, you know, back when you could actually take the battery in and out. So he took the battery out, laid it there, took the cover of the phone, laid it there, put the, the case of the phone, laid it there. So there are these four or five pieces that are laying on the table. He says, now put it together. So the kid reaches over and he starts to grab it. And he goes, no, 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 no. He goes, just speak it and have it put, put, that, put it together. And the kid looks at him and he goes, well, I can't put my phone back together if I don't touch it. And David said, right, but you want me to believe that this universe was put together by itself with nobody touching it. And immediately the kid goes, okay, you got my attention. <laughs> Something so simple, but yet the reality of it is that there is a God who created all these things, and you're without excuse that there is a knowledge of him, right? You look around, you see the evidence of a creator. And he says, because of it, you are without excuse, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, it says that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and send rains on the just and on the unjust. Paul was trying to remind them here that there is a God who's created all these things and he's faithful. And in Psalm 145, verses 15 and 16, it says, The eyes of all look expectantly to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Paul was wanting them to know that it was Jesus who did this miracle, not he himself. It wasn't Barnabas. It wasn't their skills. It wasn't their ability to just tell this man to stand up and start walking, and he leaps up for, with, and begins to walk. It was God who did it for them and through them. So the question then becomes, how do you think these friendly Jews responded? Well, first of all, they weren't too friendly. But look at verse 19. Uh, whoops. Verse 19. Then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there. And having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered round him, he rose and went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. So basically three things the Jews did. Number one, they worked up the crowd and persuaded them to stone Paul. I mean, this jealousy, we've watched this now for three or four chapters now, right? The Jews were just angry. They were jealous. They're envious because everywhere Paul went and everywhere he preached, the people were listening, they were getting saved, and the gospel message was going out, and the Jews despised him for it. They were angry with him. And rather than rejoice in what God was doing in the hearts of the Gentiles, they got more and more angry to the point where they just they said they went around to the crowd and they said, We need to stone these guys. Don't listen to what they say. They're 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 evil. Stone them. I mean, here's the crowd. Think about this. They went from thinking they were gods to wanting to sacrifice to them to being convinced to stoning them. Can you see how fickle the crowd is? I mean, can you imagine going from, these guys are incredible. We're going to stone them. Same crowd. Isn't that amazing? 
how fickle the world is. This side, this side, flip-flop, flip-flop, flip-flop. They, they must have been politicians. Number two, after they worked up the crowd and persuaded them to stone Paul, they drug them out of the city. I mean, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city. And then number three, they left him for dead. But you know what? How many think that faced Paul even a little bit? Paul was accustomed to persecution. You and I don't have a clue of this. I'm just telling you, on my worst day, I've never had anybody want to stone me. Well, if they did, they didn't tell me, but I, I don't think I've ever had that. I've never had anybody try to kill me. I've never had anybody try to whip me. I've never gone through any of that. Paul, he was accustomed to it. They left him for dead. And look what happens. However, when the disciples gathered around him, so as soon as he's stoned, drug out of the city, and left for dead, then the other disciples come around him. Friends like that who needs enemies. They're kind of keeping their distance. I can't blame them. <laughs> no, I won't get stoned. Paul, sorry, I love you, Paul, but <laughs> you're on your own on this one. But they finally come join him. So, Listen to Paul's testimony just a little bit. 2 Corinthians 11.25 Three times I was beaten with rods. Ouch. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. I don't fully understand what that means completely, but out in the depths of the water, trying to stay afloat for life, maybe. I don't Galatians 6.17 says, From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. What's he saying here? <laughs> I got scars. You can't hurt me. You can't hurt me. What did he say in Philippians 1? For me to live is Christ and to die is what? You can't hurt me. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, he says, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch and Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I have to admit, I, I haven't gone through any of that, and I'm trying to live for the Lord. We have got it so easy. I think one of the things that I struggle with in my own walk is that Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Do we really believe that? Can we really say that? You, between you and God, answer that question. Can you really say that you're not ashamed of the gospel? And if that's true and we're not ashamed of it, how come we don't talk about it in public? Well, because there's three things you don't talk about in public. You don't talk about politics, you don't talk about religion, and you don't talk about money because that's just going to create a fight. Right? 
We'll talk about money and we'll talk about politics, but we don't talk about our faith. Because we're, if we're honest, ashamed. People are going to think you're weird. They're going to think you're a holy roller. You're one of those goody two-shoers that go to church. But can we honestly before God Almighty, and He knows our heart, say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And I'll talk about it with anybody. Because He's changed my life. I think I, I think we all... Anybody else? Some of y'all get honest later and repent. But it's the facts. We give in to what the world thinks. We're just like the crowd. Man, we want to sacrifice to them and, and, and build them up and say, these guys are awesome. These are God in the flesh. Come down as Hermes and Zeus. And wow. Oh, wait a minute. They need to be stoned. We're just like that crowd fickle sometimes. I want to be a Christian when I'm at church on Sunday, and I want everybody to know I'm a good Christian. I read my Bible, and I pray, and I talk about Jesus. But when I'm at home with my neighbors and friends and coworkers, my relatives, I kind of keep hush about it because I don't really want to stir the pot. It's true, isn't it? Paul never once said, oh, wait a minute. You guys are so awesome. I, I know we I know we did a great thing, but no, really, no, really, it's, it's, it, no, no, it's not. No, really, he was angry that they would even dare to attribute this miracle to him. But here's where you see some boldness on Paul's part. Look, look, look at the verse. Verse twenty. However, when the disciples gathered round him, he rose up and went into the city. Wait a minute, Wait, what city did he go into? The one that he just was stoned in. Dude, does this guy have a brain? I think he might have taken it out and set it on the shelf because he wasn't using it. He was just stoned, drug out of the city and left for dead. How do I know he went back into the city? Because he went there and then the next morning, then he departed. He went back into the city that had just stoned him. Not going to do that one. Just saying. Not going there. I, I don't have that kind of boldness. I don't. I want it. I might even think I got it sometimes, but if I'm, I, I'd be lying to myself. So he gets up and goes, I, I don't know what... These disciples, I, I just want—I want to be a fly, a fly that was on the wall watching this. Paul, whoa, wake up, Paul! <laughs> man, this guy's bruised. Man, he got hit hard. This guy's in not good shape. I mean, he is rough. Comes to. All right, guys, we're gonna go back into town. Wait, oh, Paul, hold on a second. Where, where were these disciples in guiding them in the right direction? Paul just had a tenacity about him. Crazy. So he goes back into the city, and the next day he departs with Barnabas to Derby. I mean, everywhere this guy goes, the Jewish people are just irritated with him to high heaven. They just are upset with him. Four things in conclusion. Number one, I'm amazed at Paul's tenacity. 
doesn't quit. He didn't stop. He just keeps going. And I think in my own life, how easy is it for me to quit some things? How quickly do I say, ah, I give up? How quickly do I say, ah, it's not going to work? How quickly do I say, ah, they're not going to listen? I can justify, rationalize, and excuse almost every decision I make to stop doing whatever it is. Maybe you're good at it too, but I'm good at those things. I can justify it, rationalize it, excuse it. It makes sense to me. But I'm amazed at Paul's tenacity. Number two, I'm amazed at Paul's humility. I mean, he there's a prime opportunity. I mean, why not? Let him sacrifice to me. I mean, I could use some money. I could use some, some meat. I could use some uh, encouragement. Yeah, <laughs> bring it on, guys. But no, 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 no. Guys, it's not about me. That's what he said. And number three, I'm amazed at his boldness. Who would dare go back into the city that stoned him and drug him out left him dead? Not me. Not you. I'm just going to make that assumption. And number four, I'm amazed at Paul's experiences. And over and over he says, you can't hurt me. I have been through so much. I have scars to prove what I've been through. It's scars. I don't have any of that. Not that I need them, but I'm just saying it's all about God and what He's done. It's not about me. It's not about Paul. It's not about Barnabas. It's not about what God did through them. It's what God wants to do in and through our lives. Will we let Him do it? Or will we quit? I don't know about you, but that's something that we can really learn from. I don't know where you're at in your walk with God. I don't know what God's teaching you, but this to me is an example of how we should be living in this world that we live in. When we start thinking about the very fact that God has a plan for us, one of the things I was reading this week was in, I believe it's 2 Corinthians, when God says, I have reconciled you to G- Jesus, has reconciled to you, and you need to reconcile others to him. God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So what that basically means is this. He's put you on this earth to bring other people to him. That's it. And he talks about it over and over again. I I, I have so many passages that talk about the fact that we're his ambassadors. Why did Paul do what he did? So that the gospel would get out. Why did he go from village to village to village so that the gospel would get out? Why do you think he kept enduring the persecution so that the gospel would get out? And I think we can come up with a million excuses as to why we don't do it. I think we need to start praying, Lord, make me more like Paul. who was, And Paul said, follow me as I follow Jesus. Man, I can learn some things from Paul. I want to learn from some, some things from him. I don't know where you're at. But I know that this is a great testimony for us to learn from. Lord, as we think about this passage of Scripture in Acts 14, I pray, God, that you would teach us what you want us to learn. And, Lord, that we would be faithful to what you call us to do and to be. Lord, I know it's so easy to come up with all the excuses to why we don't or can't or won't. I pray, God, that you would convict us of those things. 
and forgive us, Lord, as we would repent of not being faithful witnesses, Lord, as Paul and Barnabas demonstrated. God, I pray that you'd work in all of our hearts, Lord, to draw us closer to you, to make us more like your son, Jesus. Lord, that we would truly be able to say we're not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. So, Lord, work in our hearts this morning. Draw us closer to you. May we be honest about our walk. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, every week we have an opportunity to respond to what we've heard. It's just simply God's word. Acts 14, just a, a story, a testimony. And it seems like no matter where the gospel goes out, there's opposition to it. And we have to know in our day and age, there's going to be opposition to our faith as well. Satan's working overtime. But maybe this morning God's challenged you to be a, a bold witness, to stand for truth, to not be worried about what other people think, to continuously reflect Jesus. Say, Pastor, if I'm honest with myself, those things need to improve in my life. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that this morning? Yes, in the back. In the front, yes. In the front here, yes. Anyone else say, Pastor, pray for me. My hand's up, folks. I, I am not going to stand up here in front of you and say, I got this thing licked. I still have to work on these things. I need to quit making excuses. Yes, in the front. Anyone else say, pray for me. Let's all stand to our feet. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for each one who's raised their hand, their heart towards you, Lord. Lord, we are all in the same boat, Father. Lord, we all have things that we need to work on. We all need to work on areas of boldness and standing for truth and reflecting Jesus in all that we say and do in this world that we live in. I pray, God, that we would learn from what Paul did here in Lystra. And, Lord, to emulate his boldness and his courage. Lord, I don't know that any of us, Lord, I know I speak for myself, Lord, if I were persecuted, Lord, it would be really easy to say it's not worth it. But, God, we do know it is worth it because it changes our eternal estate. It, it allows us the, the, the ability to spend eternity with you in heaven one day. So, God, work in our hearts. Draw us closer to you, we pray. Be with each one who raised their hand in their heart, Lord. May they have victory in this area, Lord, of, of being bold in their faith and their walk with you. And we'll praise you for it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.